Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank Church Podcast. At our church, we honor God, make disciples, and transform nations. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org and don't forget to subscribe. Good morning, church. My name is Roger, one of the pastors here. So delighted to be with you and to see so many faces. Thank you for coming back to church. Thank you for not staying on your sofa. Nothing like face-to-face. Delighted to see you and Nick and Kayla, my friends, great to have you here with us as well. I want to say welcome home. This is home. We're meant to be added into a place that we are at home. And if, and if you're not in a church that is your home, find one. Or maybe even let this be your home. But God wants to add us into family, spiritual family. And he wants to add us into a place that we can call home. We're on a beautiful sermon series called Outrageous Love which will come to a conclusion next week. You do not want to miss it. James Rucker, a Maori and a disciple of Jesus, wrote a beautiful book called Hue Come Home. In it, he speaks of the beautiful islands of Ataroa, or as we know, New Zealand. If you've watched Lord of the Rings or if you watch the tourism videos, you know that New Zealand is is almost as beautiful as South Africa. (laughs) But this book is more specifically about how the indigenous people of Ataroa, New Zealand, came to Christ. How the gospel came to them. Now, before the infamous Captain Cook landed in October 1769, a few years before this, a prophet arose in New Zealand he had had the most vivid of visions as to what was going to happen in the islands. In the vision, he saw strange people of white skin coming on big boats. He took to trying to mimic them. He, made, he took baskets and he put them on his head to try to show hats. And he, he took a stick and he connected a stone to it to try to show a pipe. And, and he ripped up a cloak, and he wrapped it around his legs to try to show pants. But this was the punchline. He said, these people that will come, they will tell us about the true God. And the name of our God, the name of the God is Toma Rakota, the son who was slain, the true God. Captain Cook landed. He fought with some of the Maoris, and he left. But the gospel was not proclaimed. And yet this prophecy spread across the islands. And a great expectancy arose in the hearts of the Maoris. Now the islands, as beautiful as they were, were actually a terrifying place. The Maoris, as we know, as we saw yesterday in the rugby, (laughs) are fighters. And there was constant horrific warfare and women and children were not spared. The island was full of tribes and clans where it was an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a life for a life, and everybody remembered the offense that was done against them. And so there were atrocities, war, cannibalism was huge, and the bodies particularly of women were in great demand. The islands, though very beautiful, were very, very very dark. They were a place of pain, they were a place of suffering, 
to a place of tears, to a place of, of, of crying out. Until Christmas Day, 1841, the first missionaries arrived. And, and the chiefs gathered many, many people to hear about this God, the son who was slain, the good God. And as the gospel of Jesus Christ was preached, what, what Jesus had done, him paying the price for our sins, people responded, they repented, they turned, and God came into their lives. And like wildfire, the good news exploded across the islands. Thousands, tens of thousands gave their lives to Christ. The bay where they had landed was renamed and it was called the Gateway for the Good News. They translated the Gospel of Luke into the Maori tongue. It was the first translation in the Southern Hemisphere. And the Gospel and this wonderful news spread across the islands like a Delta virus, but a good one, right? <laughs> what was incredible is that men and women who were once cannibals, who were at war, who were murderers, war criminals, who knew very little except that God had taken hold of their life. Just the Gospel of Luke and hardly anything else. They were the ones who bravely went to their enemies and shared the good news about Jesus Christ. And God did it. They spoke about the son that was slain, the good God. And so by the time that the missionaries started to go inland, they found that the good news had already gone. And people had already changed. And missiologists, those are people who study the history of the church and the history of missions, they estimate that in that season, over half the population, half the population responded to the gospel. They put their faith in Jesus, the son who was slain. And new villages were established. Christian ones, where people who used to be at war with one another, jumping across tribal and clan boundaries, lived together. And there was peace, and there was joy, and there was harmony, and there was laughter, and there was love. People who had once been enemies now became brothers and sisters in Christ. God had come down into their midst. He had transformed them. He had changed them. And there was celebration. An island that was once full of tears and cries had become an island of worship and thanksgiving and praise. Now, the story continues, and I'm not going to go into it, but the British colonial government and many of the missionaries then started to move sideways. And so after that, much of the incredible work or significant portion was damaged. But this is the point. God had seen the suffering of the people. God had come down and transformed the hearts of the people. God had used the most unlikely people. And God himself, his spirit, had been with these untrained Maori, Maori evangelists who had fearlessly gone, and the only weapon that they carried was the weapons of the gospel. God did it then. And God is doing it again today. Will you say yes? Will you be a part? And I'm speaking specifically today about the call. And I'm doing something wrong. There we go. Apologies. 
I'm speaking specifically of the call. Now, I want us to go to God's word. As incredible as this testimony and this account is, I want us to look at what God's word says. And specifically, the story of Exodus, which is a story of suffering and God responding to the suffering. Exodus is the story of how God delivered a people who were enslaved in Egypt. And Egypt is, also, is always a type and a shadow of the place of bondage. And you might find yourself in bondage. There might be something in your life that you are enslaved to. The good news is that God sees and he comes down. Now the background to this is that Egypt is the superpower of the day. Egypt has economic power second to none. They've got the Nile, they've got agriculture, they've got military power. They had the, the Nubian mercenaries, just the best infantry in the world. They had the best cavalry. And they had dark powers. They had occultic witchcraft powers. And, and so the people of Israel, God's people who had moved down there during the time of Joseph, are now enslaved. And God is seeing their cries. And he's seeing their pain. And to deal with this calamity, God calls a broken man who's a shepherd. I know we look at shepherds and we think, cool, how nice, but... For, for Egyptians, a shepherd was like the most despised occupation. Chooses to use a shepherd, once a prince of Egypt, but now for 40 years a shepherd. So let's pick up the story in, Gen in Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, he didn't even have his own flock, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. He didn't know that it was the mountain of God at that time. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. When it talks in Scripture about the angel of the Lord, it literally means the Lord himself. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And I'll comment on that just now. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight and why this bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the book and said, out of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place in which you're standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come before me. I've seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that, you should, that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, 
You shall serve God on this mountain. You know, it's fascinating. Egyptian texts, hieroglyphics, and ancient texts from the reign of Seti, from the reign of Ramesses, from the reign of Amenhotep, all pharaohs, they speak of the Apiru, and they described as people who live on the outskirts, who are described as slaves and as property, Apiru. Scholars believe, and I believe, that the Apiru are the Hebrew. This is not a myth or a legend. This is a true account of what happened to the Hebrews. And it's a true account of how God sees, God hears, and how God knows and intervenes in the face of suffering. These Hebrews had been reduced to slavery. And God's word to them is, I know. Surely I've seen the affliction of my people. Just as God saw the pain of the Maori people and he intervened, so too God saw and he had compassion. Now sometimes, I don't know about you, sometimes I avoid looking at the suffering of people. Do you ever find yourself just, just like turning away? Sometimes I have to pray, Lord, just fool me. Fool me. Give me strength again that I would have compassion. I think we all do this sometimes. But God doesn't do it. He sees. He listens. He knows. You know what the shortest verse in the Bible is? Jesus wept. Jesus, who is described as the image of the invisible God, the image of the Father, in John 11, verse 35, he comes to, to Lazarus' house, and Lazarus has passed away. Lazarus is dead, and there's tears and there's calamity, and Jesus' response to the suffering, Jesus weeps. Now, we've spoken about this at other times, and I'm not going to go into all the reasons why there's suffering in the world, but know this, Jesus is moved by what you've been through. But not just you. Jesus is moved by what your neighbor is going through. And Jesus is moved by what the nations are going through. And there is heartache and calamity here in this place. And if you need prayer, we'll pray for you afterwards. But it's not just me and it's not just you. We trust God to bring Jesus to people out there who are crying and who are in tears. Psalm 37 verse 18 says that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And he saves those who are crushed in spirit. I don't know the pain that, that you've gone through. I don't know your pain. And, and you don't know my pain. But God knows. Amen. God sees. And, and the Bible literally says that he captures our tears and he puts them in a bottle. Sure. He doesn't ignore your pain and suffering. But he comes down. And this is my second point. He, he personally comes down. As he said to Moses, I have come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians, to bring them out of the land to a good and broad land. God moved on the prophet in New Zealand. God moved personally because he loved the Maoris to reveal the son who was slain. God came down and, and personally changed the hearts of those Maori murderers and war criminals. He took away hearts of stone and and gave them soft and tender hearts. God came down 
at this time with Moses, and he did signs and wonders and miracles in Egypt. He personally did it. Friends, we share the word. We pray for people. I share the word. I pray for people. But you know, it's God who does it. It's God who heals. It's God who softens hearts. It's God who personally comes down. I'm, we just be faithful in that a little bit, but it's God who comes down and does it. Sometimes God shows up in unusual ways, and sometimes God reveals himself in unusual ways. I mean, like, have you ever asked, like, what's with the burning bush? I mean, I get the fire. You know, fire is holiness and fire is power, but, but God showed up in a burning bush. And, you know, my friend Rob Knoll talks about God inkydinks. Okay? And it's like these little things, these little almost coincidences. And if you, you could pass them by, but Moses noticed and he turned aside. Will you give attention to those things in your life that you might think they're just coincidental, but it's God coming down. It's God showing his love. It's God showing his kids. God showing you the path that is good and for your life. Now, sometimes we want God to answer us in a very specific way. And then it's all about us. So there's a funny story about a man who's got a little house and there's a flood in his area. And so he climbs onto the top of the roof because the water's rising, rising. And he cries out, God, help me. And the water's right, right up to the, um, the gutters. And along come the police in a dinghy. And they say, jump in. And he says, no, no, God's going to help me. And the water rises all the way to the top of his house. And he's standing right on top of his and, and the helicopter comes over, the Air Force helicopter. And they say, come, come, come. And they, he says, no, God will save me. God's going to help me. And then the water rises, rises till it's right here. And then the special forces, parasails down with scuba gear. And they say, come, come, come. And he goes, no, God will help me. And then he drowned. And he died. And he met with God. And God welcomed him and he went to heaven. And then he said to God, God, just one question. Why didn't you help me? And God said, my son, I sent the police dinghy. I sent the Air Force helicopter. <laughs> I sent the special forces. And can we be people who recognize how God will speak to us through a burning bush? You know, when I first recommitted my life about 18, and I was added to this youth group, I've shared this with you sometimes before, I like, did not think that this youth group was cool. I mean, I thought they were like nerds and uncool, and I didn't want to like, hang out with them but it was the best thing for me. It was my own stinking pride. You know? And as I stayed in the game, God met with me through the burning bush of these people. It was like, kind of like an inner city church, and there was a lot of poverty, but God met with me. Don't despise when God wants to speak to you through a burning bush instead of the way that you want it to be. The ultimate way that God comes down personally is in our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, that's the ultimate apostasy. That's the ultimate participation. God became man in Jesus. He took on flesh. He lived the life that we should have lived. He died the death that, that we should have died in our place. Three days later, he rose from the dead, proving that he was the Son of God and offering us the gift of salvation for those who repent and believe. It's very personal.
Jesus paid with his body. He paid with his blood. God personally comes down to deliver us. Not only does God want to deliver you from wherever you are in Egypt, but he wants to set your neighbor free. And he wants to set the nations free. It's not just about me. It's not just about you. It's about those around us. And it's about this world that is in a desperate place without God. Thirdly, God calls the dot, dot, dot to bring people, nations, your neighbor out of bondage. What's dot, dot, dot? It's whatever you want it to be. Moses said this. He said, look, God, and you can read about this. He said, I've got a speech impediment. You can't use me. I wonder if Moses was carrying the guilt that he had murdered an Egyptian. Maybe he was going like, who am I? I'm a shepherd. I'm, I'm here like in the back end of nowhere. Who am I? God calls the dot, 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 fill in the blank. The weak, the poor, the sinful, the unlikely. The only people that he doesn't use are the proud, the complacent, and the self-satisfied. But God wants to use every one of us, and God wants to use you to touch your neighbor and to go to the nations. I love Philemon verse 6 in the NIV. It says, Paul writes to Philemon, he says, I pray that you'd be active in sharing your faith, telling people about Jesus. I pray you'd be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing you have in Christ. Think about that. He's saying, be active. Not just good for them, it's good for you. You'll get a revelation of God as you share Jesus with people, as you allow God to use you. And, you know, incompetence is not an excuse because it's not about us, it's about His Spirit. You know, there's no plan... Plan B. There's only a plan A. God chose Moses. You know, God is choosing you and calling you to do what only you can do. To go to nations or to go to neighbors. To plant churches or to plant a connect group. You know, think of how those Maori suffered. Just 40 years from when Captain Cook arrived till the first missionaries came. I don't know the people that are out there that I need to go to. I don't know the people that are out there that you need to go to. And as you go, God will move. And deliverance. My question to you is, will you respond to God and say, Lord, at your word, what you say, at your word, I will go. Can it be a bit less about us and a whole lot more about God? There's a story of a lighthouse. I'm going to read it to you. On a dangerous seacoast, notorious for shipwrecks, there was a crude life-saving station. It was just a little hut with one boat and a few members who kept constant watch over the turbulent sea. They thought little about themselves. They would go out day and night, risking their lives for the lost. Many lives were saved by this team of brave men and women in the life-saving station. Eventually, it became a famous place because of all the lives that they've saved. And some of those who'd been saved and others along the seacoast, they wanted to become associated with this life-saving station. So they gave of their time and their energy and their money. It was a good thing. So new boats were purchased, new crews were trained, 
And the station, once obscure and rough, began to grow. Now, some of its members were unhappy that the station was unattractive and poorly equipped, and they felt like a more comfortable place should be made. Nothing wrong with that. And so emergency cots were replaced with beautiful furniture. Rough handmade equipment was discarded for sophisticated, classy systems. The hut, of course, had to be torn down. Room had to be made for all the furniture, the equipment. And by the time of its completion, the life-saving station had become a very popular gathering place. And its objectives began to shift. It was now like a bit of a clubhouse. An attractive building for the public. And saving lives and feeding the hungry, strengthening the fearful, and calming the disturbed hardly ever happened. And fewer and fewer members were actually interested in braving the sea on life-saving missions. And so they began to hire external professionals to do this work. And although the original goal wasn't completely forgotten, the original goal of the life-saving station, they still had little motifs on the walls and there was a place where, they, where there was a special lifeboat. But things had changed. One day, a very large ship was wrecked off the coast, close to the station. And the boat crews brought in dozens of cold, wet, half-drowned people. They were dirty, they were sick, they were lonely, and, and many were different from the majority of the club members. And the beautiful new club became like a mess, cluttered. Chaotic. And so they set up a special committee to figure out what to do with this. And they decided to build a shower outside for these people. And at the next meeting, there were strong words and angry feelings and great division amongst the members. Most of the people wanted to stop the life-saving activities because it was messing with their social life whereas some insisted that the purpose of this life-saving club was to save lives. They were voted down, and they were told if they wanted to save the lives of various people who were shipwrecked in those waters, then they could begin their own life-saving station down the coast. And so they did, and they went, and they did that. As the years passed by, the new station experienced the same changes it got to a place where the same thing happened. It evolved into another club. And so another life-saving station, a third, was begun. And history repeated itself and repeated itself and repeated itself. So if you go along the coast today, you'll find a large number of exclusive, impressive clubs along the shoreline, owned and operated by stick professionals who have lost all of their involvement in saving lives. Shipwrecks still occur in those waters. Most of the victims are not saved. Every day, people drown at sea, and so few seem to care. May we as a church stay true to the mission that God has called us to. We are called to bring people out of bondage. I'm amazed 
I'm incredulous at how God uses me and, and all of us as we just say, Lord, here I am. It's not about our perfection, but it's about His grace and mercy and His love for those people that He wants to, ch- that he wants to touch. Lastly, God's promise to Moses is I will be with you. For sure we walk by faith, but we walk by faith in the confidence that our words will not fall to the ground, that the Holy Spirit is with us, and He will move, and He will strengthen, and He will comfort, and He'll encourage. On Tuesday, I went running, had a bad run. About halfway through, I tweaked my calf, it's better now, so I ended up peeling off from the run, and walking the last three, four Ks. At first I was bleak, you know, that I wasn't running. But it was such a beautiful morning, and I was walking down this road from Kalani to the War Museum, and it was full moon, and the sun was behind me, and these jacaranda trees, it was just beautiful, I was praying. By the time I got to the coffee shop, and I was in the spirit, okay? God was with me, and... Um, this lady came up to me, it's very different from me, and I won't describe how, because maybe you're different like that. Okay? <laughs> and I honestly don't know what she said to me. She said something, and, and my wife has asked me a few times, what did you say back? I don't know what I said. I, I can't remember. I said like a few words. And next thing, she's, she's crying. And she's hugging me, and then she lets go, and then she goes in for another like long hug. And she sends me a message later on, and she's not a church girl, and she used language, but I could see that, that you know, <laughs> I won't quote some of the language, <laughs> like that was incredible, but you know, but I know what she was saying. She was saying she'd experienced God. God's promise is that he will be with us. He will comfort us. He will strengthen us. And he will anoint us as we go. In Acts 1 verse 8, Jesus said to his disciples, Wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And his power and presence comes upon us. For what purpose? That we might represent him. That we might be those missionaries to New Zealand. Like we might be like those Maori tribes, men and women, who God had touched their lives. And so he used them to bring deliverance. And freedom. Recap. God sees, God hears, God knows your suffering. And please let us pray for you afterwards. But more than that, He sees, hears, and knows the suffering of your neighbor and of the nations. And our response to that needs to be that we pray, that we give, that we go, that we pray for those who don't know Jesus. We pray for the nations and we pray for our neighbors. And and we give of our substance, we give of our time, and we go, some of you are meant to go to the nations. Secondly, we don't do this alone. God personally comes down, and he transforms the hearts, and he heals. And what is required is for you and I simply to say, Lord, use me. I'm the dot, dot, dot. I don't know if you know this, I was like the complete black sheep in my family. I've got three siblings. I am the black sheep. God calls out the sick, the weak, who knows what, the less loved. 
God uses the dot, dot, dot to bring deliverance. And lastly, God promises his presence to be with us as we go. Pastor Quinton, won't you take us forward in this? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Such a reminder that we all need to be bold in sharing the gospel. Father, I pray for people in this room that have become like that lighthouse, that have become professional Christians and no longer have the desire to save wrecked lives around them, Father God. Won't you speak to us this morning, Lord Father God? Touch our hearts and say, Lord, that's me. I'm no longer sharing the gospel. Won't you fill people with a fresh boldness to share your gospel, the good news, and to save those lives? Father, if there are new Christians in this room and that anxiety to share the gospel is high, Father, won't you give them boldness and encourage them to share the gospel this morning, Lord Father God? So if you're in this auditorium and you're one of those people, you, you don't have that boldness to share the gospel, don't you want to put your hand up? I want to pray with you. I'm not going to ask you to stand up and come forward. I just want to pray a special boldness on your life. So if you put your hand up, I know I'm praying for you this morning. I see a couple hands going up. Father, every hand that is up, Give them a fresh boldness, Lord Father God, to share the love of Christ. Father, won't you give us the words? Won't you show us the opportunities where there's a burning bush that you speak to us and that we can see that need so that we can be the light of this world, Lord Father God. When we leave here, Lord Father God, let us not be selfish with the gospel. Let's share it, Lord. Give everyone that's hand is up a fresh boldness to share the gospel to a wrecked world out there. We thank you for that. In the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen, amen, and amen. Roger, thanks for an awesome message. Thank you so much.